Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Father, uh, I need your help this morning, and we need your help to hear and understand your word. And so, Lord, come, speak to us. May we see no one else but you. And, Lord, I pray that uh, you'll do a work in my heart and in each one of our hearts this morning. We'll thank you and praise you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing in our series on heroes of faith, and I want to take you to the faith chapter, which is Hebrews chapter 11. And if you would turn to me with uh, to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 starts out with the definition of faith. And in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. And hence we have our Hall of Fame of Faithers uh, in Hebrews 11. So we have the definition of faith. It is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now drop down to verse 6 in Hebrews 11. A lot of times we leave this out, but it is so very important because it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those that seek him. I think one of the problems we have in the American church nowadays is that we, we say we believe in God, we put our faith in God, we talk about God, but uh, in many instances we have stripped him of all of his power. We treat him as though he's impotent, that he's not able to do anything. And we forget the definition of faith, that it is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And more than that, we forget that without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who come to him. Uh, This morning uh, I'm giving you a little sunflower seed. It's not very big. But uh, if you've ever driven through Kansas just before sunflower seed harvest, uh, all the sunflowers are pointed east, and, uh, and there are these beautiful fields of 8- and 10-foot-tall sunflower plants with, with the big sunflowers in the heads. Uh, around uh, here and in Colorado and Utah, we get the little sunflowers that grow wild along uh, uh, the highway. Some people think those are black-eyed Susans, but they're really sunflowers. And uh, they're a great thing because they feed the doves, and they make for a better dove hunt. But anyway, that's just a side note. Uh, 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 And we're going to see a scripture about mustard seeds. But before we see that, I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 2. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we read a, a wonderful two verses on salvation where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves it is the gift of god not as a result of works so that no man should boast 
So if you're a child of God this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've been born again, if you've been adopted into his family as a child of God, he wants to make sure we get this, that we're his children. Uh, uh, you, have, you have faith at least the size of that sunflower seed. If we turn over to Matthew chapter 17, in verse 20, it tells us what I was talking about, about the mustard seed, where in Matthew 17, 20, it says, And Jesus said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And he's talking about an incident that happened before verse 20 there. Do you believe that God can move mountains? Do you believe that God can do the impossible? Knowing that, my question this morning for myself and for you is simply, what mountain are you facing in your life today? What mountain is there that needs to be removed? Now, a lot of the things that we learn, and I try to be a lifelong learner, and I'm still learning things like you'd think I'd know by now. They have these yellow signs all over the place that say, watch for falling rocks. You know? And somehow that rock fell in the middle of the trail, and I wasn't watching for it. So I'm still learning how to watch for falling rocks. I'm also still learning about moving mountains. But early on in my ministry, oh, 40, 42 years ago, uh, you lose count after a while. Uh, Back in in, uh, Hawaii, I was in the service, so it was before 1972. Uh, I was involved in a church plant. And uh, I had come to know a gentleman at Simpson Bible College where my wife was attending uh, uh, before I went to headquarters PACAF, Hickam, Hawaii. I stopped and visited. I met a guy named Fred King. A year later, he came back to Hawaii, and he started a church plant called Leeward Community Church. It's on Komomai Drive. Komomai means welcome or come on in. And uh, God did a miracle. He gave them eight acres of property in Hawaii, which is really a large chunk of property, right next door to a preschool. It was a Montessori preschool. And he worked out a deal where we could use the preschool for $100 a month. And when the church got built, she would rent the church during the week for $2,000 a month to expand her preschool. Now, that's a pretty good deal, 100 versus 2000, right? And so we had this wonderful facility to worship in. We had uh, uh, plans drawn up for the building. And of course, the first thing you have to do before you build is excavate. And on the property next door, there was part of it that went straight up uh, on the other side of the creek. And then there was a pretty big hill that needed to be taken down. It, It was our mountain. And we gathered for prayer, and uh, it was the elders' prayer, and uh, Uncle Jim was there, and uh, he said, Brother, uh, uh, God can move mountains. Now, Uncle Jim was from the Philippines, and 
He had prayed all of his life, and he had seen mountains move. He had, he had prayed rats out of rice fields. He, all kinds of prayers had been answered for Uncle Jim. Well, I was a young whippersnapper. I was still learning. And, uh, and he convinced us that we should pray that God would move the mountain. And I wondered, wow, how's God going to do this, you know? But I'll pray. And so we prayed that God would move the mountain. This was on a Wednesday morning on Thursday the pastor, Fred King, got a phone call from the United States Navy, from the Seabees. And they said, we've been watching you and your property, and they said, we know that you probably have excavation work to do, and and, and our Seabees need practice. We will move your your, your mountain and we'll grade your property to the specs of your plans for free if you'll let us have the practice. We said, sure, but that's not the end of the story. He didn't realize that the CBs that needed practice were reservists, and reservists normally meet on Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, okay? So on Saturday, they moved in their big canine uh, bulldozers and their dump trucks, and they had uh, a super-sized backhoe. And uh, during the pastor's prayer on Sunday morning, just as he began to pray, you heard this roar. You almost thought it was an earthquake. All these D9 bulldozers fired up, and the mountain began to move. Now, God can do the impossible. It may not be the way you think he should do it, but he does it. All I know is that the Leeward Community Church and a wonderful facility stands there today is that all the grading was done for free. We had no money. We prayed. God moved the mountains, and he used CBs to do it. And it was unsolicited. Amen? Amen? That's our God. And so I ask, what mountain are you facing in your life today? Now, I'm supposed to be preaching on Samuel this morning, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm old, so I can get away with it. I'm going to preach on Samuel's mother, Hannah. You see, there's not only men of faith, there's women of faith. And Dave Edwards gave us a wonderful uh, message on Rahab. And so we're going to talk about, about Hannah this morning. Because if it weren't for Hannah, there would be no Samuel. Samuel was the last of the judges... And he was one of the first of the prophets of God. Samuel was the one who anointed King Saul and also anointed King David. And it was Samuel who who commenced, took us from the time of the judges to the kings of Israel. And we're going to read about him and his mother in in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to begin at verse 1. And this is what it has to say. Uh, Actually, and I told first service this too, I'm going to skip verse 1. I don't have a a Hebrew accent. I did uh, study two years of Hebrew and four years of Greek. Uh, But uh, when you come to verse 1, if any of you want to stand up and read that for us, I'd be glad to have you do that. There's a lot of those names I can't pronounce. Okay, I'll just be very honest. And it talks about uh, uh, Samuel's father, And uh, then in verse 2, it's talking about Samuel's father. It says, he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, 
And the name of the other was Penaniah or something like that. And uh, Penaniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, verse 3. Now, this man would go up uh, from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, and it names the two sons there who were priests to the Lord, were there. When the day came uh, that Aconiah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. Uh, do you get the picture here? Hannah is the first wife, uh, and she was unable to have children. Uh, the mountain that Hannah faces is one of infertility. The mountain that Hannah faces is one of barrenness. She couldn't have children, and she wanted to have children. Physically, she wanted children. Her heart ached for a child. It, uh, it was a time of bar- uh, barrenness. And in this day and age, many people would look at you if you couldn't uh, have children, and they would see it as a curse. And they were very critical, and they were very judgmental. And in fact, the laws and the customs of the day were such that if uh, your wife couldn't give you children, it was all right to take another wife. And if that wife couldn't give you children, it was okay to take a third wife. And if that wife couldn't give you children, it was okay to take a fourth wife. And I don't know, by then, maybe some mastermind man could figure out it was his fault, not hers, you know. But in this case, we have Hannah... She didn't produce children. We find her husband follows the custom of the day. He takes another wife, and she has children. And not only that, but she cruelly makes fun and says words and uh, and belittles Hannah because she cannot have children. So we see that, that there was the pain of barrenness. We also see that there was the pain of the second wife, which was a common practice. But think of the heartache that Hannah must have had because there was someone else that was replacing her. There was someone else that was sharing her husband. Now, I don't know exactly how that works, but uh, I know that uh, Peggy could uh, uh, probably uh, find uh, uh, a man with lots of hair and who was tall and uh, chiseled and uh, and all those kinds of things. But But it would break my heart. And if your spouse uh, did that with you, it would break your heart, wouldn't it? Uh, Think of the pain that Hannah was going through and the heartache that was there. Not only was there this barrenness and pain of, of being physically infertile, and then this pain of a second wife who, who not only had children but then taunted her, but in the land at this point in time there was spiritual barrenness. The, the great high priest was Eli, and his two sons who were priests were wrecks. Uh, if they were in the Christian Missionary Alliance today, they would have lost their credentials and their ordination. They wouldn't be functioning anymore. They were spiritual 
wrecks, and the land was spiritually bare. But we find what happens is that even though Hannah is hurting and the nation is spiritually bankrupt and there's all this pain in her life, she didn't allow it to turn to bitterness in her life. Many times that's what happens with Christians. When, when there's a mountain that we're facing and it doesn't get resolved quickly, we get angry with God. And, uh, and uh, forgiveness is not forthcoming and we allow bitterness and rancor to set in. And then we get very critical and judgmental. And when that happens and you're around a, a person like that, it's almost like being around poison. It just it, You want to distance yourself. It, it, it affects everyone. And usually it starts with uh, unforgiveness. Uh, my wife has taught me in one of Anne Graham Lotz's studies, she quotes Gandhi and says that uh, the lack of forgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Well, if you drink poison, you're, you're the one who dies. And you die inside. You die from the inside out. And, uh, and, and Hannah was not this way. She didn't allow it to turn to bitterness. Instead, she turned to God, and she turned towards him with a whole heart. Hannah was a spiritual gem in a very dark time. She was a shining light. And ladies, I want you to hear this this morning. In Scripture, there are not only men of faith, but there are women of faith. As you heard concerning Rahab, and now Hannah this morning. Uh, God, uh, God uh, lifts you up. In fact, in Galatians 3, the Lord says, Jesus says, there is no difference between man or woman, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. We are all equal and the same before God. Amen? And uh, God meets that. And uh, uh, yet, in this day and age... Uh, a Jewish man, there were three things that a Jewish man didn't want to be. He didn't want to be a Gentile. <laughs> he wanted to be free. He didn't want to be a slave. So he didn't want to be a Gentile, which they called a dog. He didn't want to be a slave. And he didn't want to be a woman, which they pretty much considered as property. And hence the cultural rule, if your wife didn't give you children, you can go take another wife. Hmm. You know who changed all that? Jesus. Jesus. Look at the women involved in ministry in Jesus' life. Look at how he elevated them and used them. And uh, Jesus has done more than any other man, and I'm speaking of his manhood now on earth, uh, more than any other man to elevate women. And so the Lord saw Hannah, he saw her pain. Uh, he saw what she was going through. And, uh, and so we see that Hannah is facing a mountain of barrenness, and, and we find that Hannah chooses the bulldozer of prayer. Look at 1 Samuel 9. It says, Then Hannah rose uh, uh, after uh, eating and drinking in Shiloh, and now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, she was greatly distressed, uh, it says she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. 
She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your uh, maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now, we should stop there. Jeff gave us a great message last week on Samson, and Samson took a Nazarite vow. He wasn't to cut his hair. He wasn't to go near dead bodies. Hannah is saying, if you give me a son, I'm going to give him right back to you. Not only that, am I going to give him back to you, but I, he's going to take a Nazarite vow, and he'll never cut his hair. He will be a man of God all of his days. And you know the story of how Hannah took Samuel to the temple and gave him to Eli, and he was raised in the temple of God under Eli's tutelage. It's a hard thing to give your kids to the Lord. We gave our two daughters to the Lord in dedication, and when our oldest daughter felt called to to be a missionary, I thought that was a, a wonderful thing. We'd given them to the Lord, and, and today she is a missionary along with her family and the alliance in the nation of Kosovo. And they are seeing whole villages come to Jesus Christ across Kosovo right now. And she leads a women's discipleship movement that encompasses Kosovo, Croatia, Bulgaria, and uh, that part of Eastern Europe. And, and there's just fantastic things happening. But you know something I didn't do? I didn't give my grandkids to the Lord. And my daughter took them with, him, with her. <laughs> you know, it was one thing to give my kids to the Lord. <laughs> but it's a whole other thing to give your grandkids to the Lord. And yes, I've got to the place where I've given them to the Lord and they're going to school in southern Germany at Black Forest Academy and they're having uh, the time of their life and it's a wonderful experience for them. And what I've found is God gives us quality instead of quantity. And that's okay. But can you begin to fathom what it would be for a mom who is barren, who is infertile, to give her child, before she even has it, to Jesus and say, if you just give me a, a baby, I, I won't even raise him. When he's old enough, I'll take him to the priest and give him away. What a person of faith that Hannah is. And so uh, she, she goes and she prays and she pours out her heart here. And in verse 12 it says, Now it came about as she was continuing praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Can you see the passion and the anguish that this woman is in as she pours out her heart in the temple before God and for God to hear her? And the high priest Eli is watching, and in verse 12 it says, uh, she's praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were not moving. So Eli, Eli thought she was drunk. And then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Now, I guess I should tell you how my mind works. Uh, Hannah says, I have not drinking wine or, or strong drink. So I don't know if that's wine and Jack Daniels or what it is. But anyway, she hadn't had any of it, okay? 
And in verse 16, it says, Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. And then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. We see that Hannah's prayer was specific. It was for a child. She, she poured her heart out. Her prayer was confident. And this indicated, is indicated by her appealing to the God of hosts, the Lord of the armies. And she realized that the answer to her barrenness was in, in Jesus, in the Lord. Uh, she, she realized that her barrenness was, was kind of like a garage door. Her, her, uh, her, her womb was closed, but God could open it. Uh, I have firsthand experience with that. Two weeks ago, my wife Peggy uh, uh, bought me a Genie Excalibur II garage door opener. And a week ago, Wednesday, Matt, Pastor Matt came up and helped me install it. And uh, I have kind of a bum shoulder, and it's a heavy door on the metal building. It was hard to get it up, and now you just push a button, and zoom, it goes right up. Wonderful invention. And, uh, and no pressure there whatsoever. She realized that the garage door could be opened, but only through Jesus. And so she prayed for that. Now, when it comes to faith, I want to give us four things this morning very quickly. When it comes to faith and a prayer of faith, first of all, we need to envision a clear-cut goal and objective. A clear-cut goal and objective. We've got to know what we are praying for. We need to have a picture of what we are praying about. Hannah knew exactly what she wanted. She wanted a baby. And not just any baby, she wanted a son. And she prayed that before the Lord. Turn with me, if you would, uh, to Matthew chapter 20. And in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34, we, we read this story about Jesus. In verse 29 of Matthew 20, it says, And they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed Jesus, and two blind men were sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by. They cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. See, the crowd wasn't blind. The two men were blind. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. You see, they knew exactly what they wanted. Remember the story of the man that sat by the pool of Bethesda? And he was waiting there, and Jesus came by, and, and the story was that every once in a while, the angel of the Lord would come and trouble the waters, and the first people to the water after that happened were healed. And it says that he had been lame uh, uh, since birth. He wasn't able to walk since birth, and he's sitting by the pool, and, and Jesus comes, and he says, Sir, what do you want? Remember what the man told him? He said, I want somebody here to help me get to the pool. I, I can't get to the pool. I'm lame. Now, is that really what his problem was? No. His problem was that he had been lame since birth. 
His problem was that, that what he really wanted was new legs, legs that were strong, legs that he could use. But, but he told Jesus, I, I need someone to help me get to the pool. You see, we need to have a clear-cut vision of what we are praying for, a clear-cut objective. Our second sanctuary that we built on Oneyava Avenue in, uh, in Kailua, Hawaii, uh, it was designed by Francis Oda, a world-class architect. Uh, he did the Hyatt uh, Regency in Kanapali on Maui, and he did the Capitol Building in Malaysia, and uh, done all kinds of stuff. He's retired now. In fact, uh, last time I Googled him, he'd become a church planter, and he had a church in his home. Uh, he's really a neat guy. And uh, time doesn't allow for me to tell you more about him, but uh, uh, anyway... Uh, 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 we were in the middle of our second sanctuary that he had designed and won awards for, and it was pole constructed. And we had these huge uh, uh, three foot in, uh, in diameter poles that went like 26 feet up into the air. And we got those in, and all the foundation and the concrete, and it kind of looked like pole hedge or stone hedge. And people in town would say, Doug, or, or Kahu, which means shepherd, what are you doing down there? Are you going to carve those into tikis, or what's going on? And I said, well, we ran out of money. And, uh, and we didn't have the money to put the trusses up and to put the roof on. And we'd got as far as we could go. We'd run out of money. And, uh, and so I came back, uh, and we sat down with the elders and their wives, and and I said, you know, when we pray for the building, how do you see the building? And we went around the circle, and everyone saw it the same way. They saw it as a concrete slab and these big poles in here. And that's what we had. And that's what people were praying for. And I suggested, I said, you know, maybe we need to begin to picture it with a roof on it and pray for that. <laughs> and we did. And it was a week later, one of the elders came to me, Bob Sauer, and he had a 19... Uh, uh, 59 uh, Mercedes uh, convertible sports car. I think it was a 190 SL or 150. It, it doesn't matter. It looked a lot like a 58 Corvette. And it had a great engine in it. It was the first car that I ever went more than 100 miles an hour in. And I had Bob Sauer with me. It scared him to death. And uh, here just a couple years ago, I was with my son-in-law who uh, works for Mark Miller Toyota in Salt Lake, and he had a Porsche Boxer, and we were doing 86 miles an hour going on an on-ramp downtown Salt Lake. And I knew exactly how Bob Sauer had felt. <laughs> Bob Sauer was in heaven smiling down, going, oh, now you get it, buddy. <laughs> and I go, oh, as soon as I get there, Bob, I'm going to apologize to you. But he gave, he gave his baby. That was his pride and joy. And I know it doesn't sound like a lot today, but we were able to sell it back in 1978 for $12,000. And that more than put the roof on the church. And God answered the prayer. So we have to have a clear-cut vision of the objective. Secondly, we need a burning desire. And uh, one of my life verses is Psalm 37.4. Delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So it starts with delighting in the Lord. And I think the reason that verse is true is when we delight in the Lord, our desires are God's desires. When we're not delighting in the Lord, it's our own desire. 
And uh, I think it's James 4.3 says, uh, you ask and I don't answer because you ask with selfish motives. You see, it's still all dependent upon the will of God. And then we, thirdly, we need to pray for substance or assurance. And in the Greek, the word for substance and assurance uh, means the title deed. Now, for a lot of people, this doesn't happen until your 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. But for some people, you actually come to a day when you got your house paid off. And the bank no longer owns the title deed, but they give it to you. And if that happens in your 20s, God bless you. Uh, because it's a great day when it happens, and all of a sudden you have this income you didn't have before because you're no longer making payments. And it's a wonderful day to get the title deed. And we need to pray until we get the, uh, for assurance and for substance that God has given us the title deed. Remember the definition of faith? The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. We need to pray for that and to pray that God will give us the title deed. And then, then the last is simply to, to speak the word. When, uh, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, how did God create the world? He what? Absolutely. He spoke it into being. And I'm not talking about name it and claim it or any of that kind of stuff because it's all subject to the will of God in our lives. But we do need to ask, and we need to pray until, until we get a peace. Remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 had a thorn in the flesh. And it tells us there in 2 Corinthians 12 that he prayed three times that God would remove it. And then finally, God spoke a word to him. And the word was, I'm not going to remove it because, Paul, when you're weak, it's kind of like Doug falling over a rock. You're humble. And when you're weak, I'm strong. When you're strong, the tendency is to do it in the flesh, and I want you to do it in me. And God gave him a definitive word, and he was at peace with his thorn in the flesh. But he prayed, and he continued to pray until he got a definitive word from the Lord. And so we see that Hannah had not gotten a definitive word yet, that she continued to pray and to pray through this. And then with her encounter with Eli, she got a definitive word because uh, uh, Eli said, I will pray that you find favor with God. And in verse 19 of 1 Samuel 1, it says she got up off her knees and her countenance was changed. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and she went out and... Uh, and uh, we know the rest of the story because Samuel was a product of that. Now, her countenance was changed. Ours can be, too. Don't forget Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving and supplication, make your requests known to God. And then what? Then the peace of God will consume your heart, will fill your heart with a peace that is beyond understanding. Prayer with faith can move mountains. Amen? And I'll give you one last uh, verse. Actually, it's the second to the last real quickly here in Luke. And in Luke 18... Uh, this is to encourage you to continue to pray if there is a mountain in your life. 
For it says in Luke 18.1, Now Jesus was telling them a parable. Jesus often taught in stories. To show that all, at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection for my opponents. For a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God or respect man, yet because of this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We are to continue to pray until we get an answer. Two years ago, I fell, busted up my shoulder, have no rotator cuff. Yesterday, I fell, a lot of pain. I continue to get prayer every time the Holy Spirit nudges me because God hasn't given me peace yet. I continue to seek prayer because I believe God can do it. And if he doesn't do it, I believe there will come a time that God gives me a word that says, it's okay, Doug. When you're in pain and you're hurting, you're dependent on me. (laughs) And I'd rather have you there than in the other place. But I haven't heard that yet. So I continue to come for prayer. Now, I want to give you the end of the story. As some of you might know Paul Harvey. Uh, He used to be on the radio, and he would give you the rest of the story. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 21, we get the rest of the story. It says, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. You see, the Lord just didn't give her Samuel. (laughs) He gave it all to her, pressed down, and in good measure, three sons and two daughters. Well, you may be here this morning and say, well, that's good for Hannah. Our last pastorate of an accredited church was in uh, Tumwa, Iowa. We had prayed that after the superintendency the first time, we could have one more good pastorate. And God sent us to a Tumwa. Uh, it's a Native American word that actually means uh, rippling water on the skin, cellulite. So it was an appropriate ministry for me. And uh, the chief was Chief Wapolo. He was a very big man. Uh, but we had a wonderful time there, and God grew the church and And we had seven couples in the church that were wrestling with infertility. One was an elder, Marvin Boyer, and his wife, Tracy. Now, they'd had three kids, uh, two kids, excuse me, two sons, but they wanted a little girl, and and, and they had to have another baby in order to even have hopes of having a little girl, and, and they couldn't have for some reason, and so he went to a fertility specialist, and so did she, and they came back with the verdict that uh, he had very few swimmers and, and those that could swim were lazy and didn't. <laughs> and the doctor said, you'll, you'll, you'll never have kids. Well, they had the elders anoint and pray for them. And uh, within three months, she was expecting and they had a little girl. And he was so excited. In fact, he gave this testimony on an Easter Sunday he went back to the fertility doctor, and, and he wanted to see how God had healed. And the doctor came out, and he goes, man, he says, uh, 
He says, it's worse than before. <laughs> he says, there's no way you can have kids. So they threw a question to the wind, and uh, six months after, I just remember the little girl's name started with an E. Elena? Elisa, okay. Uh, well, six months after she was born, uh, Tracy was expecting another little girl. <laughs> All the glory went to God, not to Marvin, <laughs> but, but to God. To God. We had another couple in the church. He was our worship leader, Kevin Schrag, and his wife, Sandy. And, and she came from a family of 11. And her mother had passed away out of Goodland, Kansas, and uh, oh, she sought the Lord. She never got a word. And we had a message similar to this on faith. And I'll never forget Monday morning. She was in my office, and she was just a basket rat, uh, case, and she was in tears. She she was like Hannah. She was at the end of herself, and she says, "Doug, I've prayed. I, I've done the right things. I what what, what are you saying?" <laughs> and I'm and I said, "All I'm saying, Sandy, is that you got to keep praying and seeking God till God gives you word." He either gives you a piece about the infertility or he does something about it. We just got to pray, and we pray together. In two months, uh, they were, uh, uh, she was pregnant, and they had their first one. And I asked Peggy in first service how many kids they have now. She said five, but she Facebooked it during uh, the time between services, and, and it's two and then twins, so they have four. So I need to correct that. Instead of five kids, they have four. But they have four kids when they had none. And so what I want us to hear this morning is what we read there in Luke. When the Lord returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will we continue to pray until God moves the mountain or gives us a word about it? And the way I want to close the service this morning is I'm going to ask you to bear with me just a couple more minutes. And we're going to see on the screen... The song that uh, uh, Third Day did about nine years ago called Cry Out to Jesus. And the words are going to be on there. And I don't want you to stand and sing. I want you to sit, watch the screen. And what I'd like you to do is pray the words as they sing them and they come up on the screen. You know, Scripture is full of written prayers. There's the Lord's Prayer, John 17, the whole chapter is the high priestly prayer. I believe this is a prayer. So will you pray this with me this morning? And then I'll dismiss us. To everyone who's lost someone they love Long before it was their time You feel like the days you had were not enough When you said goodbye And to all other people with burdens and pains Keeping you back from your life You believe that there's nothing and there is no one who can make it right And there is hope for the helpless Rest for the weary And love for the broken heart And there is grace and forgiveness Mercy 
Hannah, a woman of faith, cried out to Jesus. God gave her three sons, two daughters. The Lord says, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? If there's a mountain you're facing this morning, I encourage you to cry out to Jesus. And as we close, I'm going to ask the elders to come forward and their wives. And and if you have something that you'd like to pray about, we'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, we're dismissed. So let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, uh, 
There are times where words just don't suffice, but you say that your spirit within us cries out and you hear us. And so, Lord, hear our hearts this morning. You know the mountains that are out there. And, Lord, I know that you can move everyone or you can give peace and you can give assurance. You can give a title deed. And so we pray for that, Lord. Meet, meet us right where we are. And we'll thank you and praise you for that. And we thank you that you go with us out into the world this week. And, Lord, uh, we thank you that you hear our prayers. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.